Sorry, I went downstairs to pour a beer and accidentally broke a glass, so it took me a little bit longer to get back up oh, here. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Adventurous. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Uh, by the way, I, you know, mm. uh, it's Community Hop Unity IPA, which I don't know if they release specifically for Pride Month because it is a very rainbow Technicolor can, mm. but... Regardless, it fits the fact that it's Pride Month and it is a very, very, very delicious beer. So nice. Yeah, I love community. Yeah, I hope they're one of those local brands that I hope to get on board to sponsor me at some point. I've reached out, but, you know, I'm sure my numbers need to be a certain way before <laughs> they want to throw down. But yeah, they're definitely in my my uh, my vision of like, you know, local Cause you know, you think about like music festivals and the people that sponsor them. Most of them, it's like alcohol and like other like supporting brands and like them and like deep Elm brewing are like, you know, some of my, the people that I like, I would really love to have them in my corner. I guess, cause like, yeah, I don't know. I, I've enjoyed their products for a minute, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying this just because you said that I, I hope someone at community listens to this, but I mean, we almost always have the community mosaic ipa in our fridge mm, um yeah and uh yeah that's we're classic. we're both real big on community products plus it's i mean that's a the actual like brewery is a great place to hang out oh I mean, yeah I, I don't know they just kind of they just knew they just redid it too they just opened yeah. up a new new way a uh, new one on um off of 35 i think yeah um yeah and it's beautiful yeah it's huge um yeah, my, my sister actually used to work for them back in the day, helped them with marketing. Um, wow. Back in like, I think it's like 2014 or something like that. Um, 13, like when they were, they had just moved into that space off of 35 in Dallas. Um, yeah, way back in the day. But yeah, man, that, they're a classic. They're a staple. They're a Dallas staple for show. Oh, yeah. DFW, I guess. Well, do you want to jump into uh, today's topic, which I'm really excited about? Cause yeah, man. I'm excited to see where this goes. But uh, yeah, today's topic is uh, well, it's real, pretty, pretty uh, upfront, just uh, favorite, favorite producers. So uh, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see where this goes. But um, I'm sure some of the ones uh, will be similar. But uh, I'm also equally curious to see where those conversations go about the people that like we really revere. Um, so I, I'll, I'll start us off um, with something that I know is on both of our lists, and I just want to get it out of the way. Um, <laughs> uh, I will crack it open with um, Sir George Martin. <laughs> yeah, he's on my list. <laughs> yeah, oh, I knew it. Yeah, you know, it, that's just become a running theme here is I, I know we'll always respect make a, a, a moment to respect the Beatles or like a part of their legacy or whatever but sometimes I just want to get out of the way um, <laughs> <laughs> um, for the sake of repeating myself um, and uh, you know when it comes to George Martin man I mean I know that covers way more than just the Beatles I mean we're talking about um, the police I mean we're talking about a bunch of different people but when it comes to the reason why I love George Martin in his ear and, and also, I mean, I don't want to just say like by extension, Giles Martin saying that like he's everything his father is, but like, you know, Giles has also definitely taken a respect and reverence into like his father's techniques and his form of, you know, producing music and, and has done a phenomenal job himself. But man, George Martin was a tremendous person in the fact that like he dealt with <laughs> personalities like the people involved in the Beatles while doing all sorts of other things that were way more professional <laughs> or way more, you know, technical and then like, you know, orchestral or like in a way that like they, they just handled music theory and music production differently. And so he interacted with them differently. But then when it came to working with the Beatles, it was like a different form of lesson. It was like taking these buskers, taking these just like creative people and like making it work, you know, like taking these weird ideas and like putting it into the right timing, teaching them by extension, like how to build, you know, and make it actually more epic on top of what maybe they were saying, or, or maybe even them telling him like a song to reference and then him doing all the background work to make sure that it fit that, you know, bill. Um, 
just a, a phenomenal music mind, but also just a phenomenal character to work with. I mean, if you if you look at like any documentaries covering him, I mean, anyone that worked with him just really respected him because of how he respected them in return. And um, I mean, you hear it all the time that producers are not just, you know, the musical um, support and, and structure, but also, you know, sometimes a psychiatrist. <laughs> and And I just think like, you know, George Martin was a very like, confident and competent person and and really you know he just worked well with a lot of people and and the signature thing about any great musician or any great you know method uh um or person of industry is that they can work well with anyone and 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 he was just such a great communicator and facilitator and um yeah i don't know just you know the other name that, that I know is going to get brought up in regards to the Beatles is going to be Phil Spector um, and the wall of sound and, you know, and, and all the great things that he did, but there was rough edges to Phil. <laughs> That's maybe an, an understatement. Um, and, and with George Martin, I just feel like there was just like almost like a, a father esque relationship. You know, it's like he, he kept, he kept things. He tried to keep things like, steady and not like a, from a mode of control but from a mode of consistency you know which i think is like a, a a string of professionalism that people like the beatles needed they needed that in their life and um, that's another dynamic of being a great producer is not just being able to handle the art form that these people these creators these artists are giving you to channel and 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 clean up and whatever but also to facilitate different types of needs and to re-educate, you know, in the moments, you know, I, I just think that's that some of those great producers, that's what they did is they, they, they created a platform and they facilitated these needs and these ideas, but they also gave something back. You know, it wasn't just like they were a conduit and then like, or a filter almost, but they were like, they rebounded things back to these artists and, and made them better as time went on. And he's one of the, the ones that always pops into my mind. So definitely want to start off with that, but also get it out of the way. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree. And it's, um, you know, in doing research for this, I, I mean, I knew, I knew whoever went first was going to have the first stab at George Martin. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the one thing that I will add just to, um, you know, further the point you were making in the other people on my list, um, I was able to find some evidence that at some point someone didn't like working with them, mm. except for George Martin. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I literally like I, I Googled like George Martin difficult to work with George Martin, not like <laughs> bands that did not like George Martin artists that did not like, and I couldn't find any, I, I mean, I really could, if you put in right. artists who don't like Quincy Jones, things come up. I mean, you know, um, <laughs> you know, and it, it's not much to, uh, to be fair, but I mean, you know, it was no, literally mean, zero with George Martin. So, yeah. Um, and I, I think you're right. I think you had the earnest approach, you know, even, yeah. even, even I'll go further. I mean, I know I brought up the, the police and stuff, but like in that era of George Martin making music at, um, was it air air studios or air productions, his little yeah. um, his place off uh, the Caribbean. Um, yeah. that, that during that era of him making his own music and producing and facilitating music, I'll put it that way. It was a studio and a house like the artists lived there and ate dinner with him and his family while they worked like it was like a communal thing you know it wasn't just like you show up you do your bit and get out your time is up you know <laughs> like this cold you know like a cold you know exchange he really loved it and embraced it and like whether it was shown on the tape on notes or whatever on the in-between he lived it and like embraced it, you know, and it was just something felt by, I think every artist he worked with. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, it's a rare thing. And it, it's like you said, I, I think that the Beatles needed his level of oversight and professionalism. And I think that, um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure John rebelled against it a little bit more, but you know, Paul, 
really absorbed that and and you know i'm i'm sure he came into the studio on drugs his share of times but you know the stories that you hear about uh paul mccartney in the studio or or that he's yeah. a workhorse and that he keeps his times and that he gets in there and he gets things done and and uh so i think having that tremendously positive influence certainly helped um you know the beatles as a group but certainly individually as well um yeah. so oh big time yeah just time. just absolutely incredible and and you almost can't say enough good things about it but um but you're right i mean it it, it does just kind of need to get out of the way because um <laughs> we'll I, talk about it for too long yeah <laughs> We'll find um, all sorts of tangents that everyone else is like, where did they grab that from? I'm like, yeah. you give me a, if you give me the topic of the Beatles in enough time, I'll, I'll, I'll get there. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, um, I get, I'll go next and I'll, I'll bring up a, a lot of the people I'm going to bring up have a Beatles connection of some sort, but I won't harp okay. on it. Um, <laughs> which is, <laughs> which, you know, that's just, that's just the way it is. Um, so the next person I wanted to bring up is Ken Scott. Um, hmm. And interestingly, Ken Scott was an engineer under George Martin who uh, worked for the Beatles. He was one of the five engineers that the, the Beatles used most often. Um, but he also did engineering work for Elton John and Pink Floyd and all these other people. But one thing that I learned about him um, which is uh which is kind of interesting this is a guy i didn't know much about other than the the beatles connection so mm -hmm. uh ken scott was very influential in getting the kind of like jazz fusion movement of the 70s and getting a little bit more like rock and pop instruments used in jazz you know like guitar but not really jazz guitar it was more like rock guitar that was you know put into jazz and uh mm. he worked with the mahavishnu orchestra and stanley clark two very cool progressive uh jazz groups uh, well stanley clark's just one man but you know stanley clark and his band he also worked with one of my all-time favorite guilty pleasure bands which is the missing persons um as far as I know, they only had one album. It's called Spring Session M, and it came out in the early 80s, and it kicks all the ass there is to be kicked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. Um, but he also, you know, as a producer, Ken Scott also worked for, like, Super Tramp. I think he worked with Bowie for a while. He did work with uh, Devo. I mean, it, it was, uh, you know he did a lot of work with a lot of people. I like Devo's music. I know you and I both like David Bowie's music. I like super tramp. I have a soft spot for super tramp. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, so he did, uh, he does have a Beatles connection. Um, <laughs> but he also did work with Duran Duran kind of in Duran Duran's heyday. So that's pretty cool too. Mm -hmm. Although I, to be fair, I don't actually know if he produced the albums or if he was just part of the production staff. Um, mm, but, uh, sure. But anyway, so yeah, Ken Scott, someone who I don't know if he was on your list, but um, in in kind of doing a little bit of research for this, it appears that he is a wildly underappreciated figure in in the world of music production. So I, I wanted to give mm. him a shout out. I know you're listening, yeah. Ken. Thank you. <laughs> no, that's a good that, that's a good one. You know, and I mean, those are the kind of cats, industry cats that I I like to. Uh, to get a chance to highlight, you know, whether it's me, you or a guest or whatever, is that, that those people that they did a lot of work, they had connections in the background to maybe someone that was important and that they made decisions or they did moves that, you know, that affected the music, you know, and just because they were an engineer and not the, you know, the final name on the bill, you know, no one cares. You know, I, I, I got brought up many times, you know, I remember being a dumb kid, you know, 12 year old whatever looking listening to like a david bowie song and be like wow david bowie is amazing you know he's playing this guitar part he's doing everything just because the artist name listed was david bowie and i didn't go past that you know and just realizing like there's so much involved you know like even even if there's session people involved sometimes a producer might have redone this guitar part because they just didn't like it you know or <laughs> or like all these little like little things that you just don't consider if you don't investigate and and yeah you know these are one of those people that you know 
involved in so many things, but maybe they, they, they kept it professional, you know, they never did anything wild, you know, maybe like a, a, a specter, a Phil specter where, where you're in the news, you're in the news for something else. And now people know more about yourself. You know, you just, you stayed professional and you, you, you did your project and you moved on and then you realize like, wow, these people are involved in so many things, you know, whether you're talking about a session person or engineer, some of those, sometimes those are those, those musician, those musical people that sneak past you, <laughs> you know, like when you, when you look back on some of those session people like, wow, you've been involved in this, that, and that, like, that's insane. Like, how did I never know that? And it was because, you know, they're just paid to execute, you know, not be the, the focal point or whatever, but, but that's a good one. That's a really good one. Um, Thank you. You know, another, another one I would bring up, um, similar timeline, I guess you could say would be Barry Gordy, um, the founder and one of the early producers for Motown. Um, you know, one of my favorite, um, stories about Barry is, you know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting stories, um, that stem out of his venture into music, um, into creating Motown. But one of the things that I read within the last year, um, I actually read it in the book, um, Dilla time, the Jay Dilla, um, biography, um, which I never knew was that when Barry Gordy, um, made the decision to invest and create a label while working in Motor City and working in Detroit, you know, he was working at the Ford plant and the factory line had a repetitive rhythmic timing. And when he started Motown, he would produce, no, I won't say produce, but he would create musical ideas using the timing of the machines that he was working on. And, and that was like a foundation for him. And then, you know, took his money and started to label and got a lot of local interest and, and just started to build it onward and onward and upward. But to me, as a, a musician and, and producer and just creative creator, whatever myself, I love that notion of him finding timing and rhythm in work and rhythm in something that didn't facilitate creativity. I'll put it that way. That like, you know, he saw that, you know, like, cause I think of it, cause you know, again, I come from like a, 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 a Christian, like pre preacher family where like, there's always like this character morality structure and like this, this, like there's, there's rules to life. And, and, and when I think about someone like that, that's trying to make their own lane, you know, make their own form of art. And then he's using structures from his current life, you know, just using the, the beat from a factory machine, like to, to, to create uh, relative like structure in the now, like, I just love that so much. Like, I don't know why, like when I read that, because it was, it was a few months ago that I read that and it just like, man, it like made my, like, I know this sounds corny, but like it made my like heart like smile man like it made like me like perk up a little bit to think that this person that i perceived as this legend of music and facility this facilitator of creativity um in detroit and, and in that lane of music creation that some of his beginnings were literally made off of the the rhythms of machines that he was using to make his everyday dollar was so like encouraging to me you know, just like in the same thought of thinking of Bill Withers that like, you know, he was a military guy, but he was working at a military factory building planes when he got his first record job, just because he wanted to, just because he pushed himself and he wanted to do it. And he got there off of his own willpower. You know, I just think of like Gordy, like just changing this landscape of music to the point that you think of Motown almost as a genre. It is almost right. its own little subset. Like it is, it is, it is that impressive. And I just love to revel in the thought that like it was an investment in himself and in his community and that he, he, he built it off of like his production and stuff. He was training himself off of the things that were making him money right now. Like just, you know, just real things. And like, man, I don't know that that was so powerful to me. And so like, 
you know, I, I know he didn't produce everything that came out of Motown, but you know, just just the the gumption and the 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 mobility and the willpower to make your own lane of music and to the, get it to its, to a point to where like, yeah, it's almost its own fucking genre. Like you don't, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's just like, that's, that's just so incredible to me. So I, I wanted to make sure to give a shout out to that. Absolutely. On this one. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, I really have, to, <laughs> I have no plans to go to Detroit. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. I, I I like the Detroit style pizza. I will admit to that. Um, but yeah, I you know, I I don't like the cold. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I have nothing against Detroit or Michigan or Michiganders or Detroiters or anything. But um, yeah, I I do know people who have gone and they have seen the the house that Motown was founded mm. in. Oh yeah, and, and they mm. said it's just incredible because it's just this small. You know, kind of like a working class family home, yeah. And and you know, you, you think about the empire that that came from it. It's <laughs> yeah, it's man. just amazing, I mean, isn't it? I mean, you know, think up, think man. about Smokey Robinson having sat in that house and talked about you know tears of a clown or whatever. I mean, it's unbelievable to me. Yeah. Um, or, and, and or, his, or to think to think of uh, Marvin Gaye having yeah. some kind of awkward conversation with Barry because he's he's interested in his sister, you know, just <laughs> and realizing that Marvin started off as a session drummer, you know, and not this stellar vocalist that everyone knows or interprets him as now, but just that he, you know, he was playing drums on Stevie songs, you know, he's playing drums on, on temptation songs, you know, oh, there's yeah. just so much lineage and like history and evolution behind Motown and, and like as a, as a, as a group, like as a community, like people like working together and like, growing as individuals to be better like it's just it's it's phenomenal like what an american story yeah and um you know the the foreign influence i mean you know uh, the beatles and the rolling stones i mean almost any british invasion band uh from the 60s uh, you know you can find somewhere in print they've talked about loving the motown sound um yeah I mean, who you know, does Dusty, Sp- Dusty Springfield made her career basically being this pale white British woman who had this super soulful voice and tried to recreate that Motown <laughs> uh, sound, which, you know, she did a pretty good job of doing. Um, so it's uh, it's it's just incredible. And then plus, you know, of course, all of the well, you know, the Supremes and and then Diana Ross spins that off into a great solo career. I mean, it's it's just it's just incredible. Uh, really, oh, amazing, I mean, man. his 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 impact on music in the 20th century cannot really be overstated. I don't think so. Um, yeah, I think that's a but I think that's a great pick. <laughs> yeah, well, I think he he he's one of those you know historical kind of focal point individuals where he took it seriously in a form that I don't think people had done it just yet in that. And in, in, in whatever community you want to put him in, you know, whatever box or settings you want to put him in, he was in a place that he was going to be the one of this generation to make that commitment. And it stands, stand firm and it to, and the, to prove something to others and other people use it as a focal point. And it just, you know, compounded over time. And I, I mean, it, you know, it's still going, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just outrageous. And yeah, I mean, gotta gotta include them but yeah, yeah man it's amazing and 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 then and then on top of that you know i'll, I'll throw this in there just to, to get that out of the way is jay dilla you know another detroit native that that evolved sound and and rhythmic structure and and probably changed you know like hip-hop and 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 hip-hop beat structure forever um and 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 throwing in these off times and these weird signatures that that finesse it in a way that gives you uniqueness through rhythm you know not just through how you speak and the tones and textures you use but your timing and making your timing its own signature thing and and you know whether it's you know knowing the ins and outs of a of a a beat maker and quantizing and all these you know you know formulaic things 
or just being able to tell that you love it when the crash comes in on an off beat or an off time that is atypical. And for some reason that makes you excited, you know, because your brain wasn't expecting that or, or because that would, that would, that's outside of a European, you know, musical structure, like however you want to define these things. But like, you know, when you take someone like Jay Dilla that can produce and start like making beats that just make everyone in a certain corner of industry, like pay attention and, and, and the start to alter themselves. I mean, you gotta, you gotta bring them up and, and then Jay Dilla is definitely, I, I had to, I have to make sure to bring him up this episode that, I mean, it's just, it's been an inspiration or an immediate influence or producer hands on that, you know, really carved out, you know, their own sound and, and, and is still inspiring people to this day. And, uh, yeah, man, I mean, those are two Detroit fucking heavy hitters. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, from one icon, we'll go uh, to someone else that people may or may not have heard of. I don't know if anyone listening watched The Office, but uh, Karen Filippelli was played by uh, Rashida Jones and, and her dad, um, whose name is Quincy. Uh, actually, it turns out, is a pretty important figure in the world of music. So, uh, somewhat, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I, there had to have been at least one person who went, what in the hell? Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. So uh, Quincy Jones, I mean, uh, who who actually is Rashida Jones's dad, by the way. And, and if you watch the there's a really great uh, documentary of Quincy Jones that I think is just called Quincy on Netflix. And uh, yes, it is. Great and, uh, you know, it's a great documentary. Rashida Jones had a big hand in that. But um, yeah, Quincy Jones, I mean. You know, that you talk about iconic producers, you can't you can't even have that discussion without mentioning him. I mean, he is such a virtuoso in the world of music. I mean, he is a producer. He is a composer. He's done arrangement. He's he's been a band leader. You know, um, he's cut yeah, well, he's cut he, albums himself. So, and, well, and he's done he's done work with I mean, literally you pin down the last 50 years of greatest artists and he's probably worked with them. I mean, Oh yeah. From Michael Jackson to George Benson to Aretha Franklin. Uh, and, and on top of that, I mean, um, I also want to say just like his, his ear for music, like his, his, his concept for what he thinks actually plays well, I yeah. think is one of those things that is very consistent. Like, I, I don't want to say, cause like, you know, any producer you could say is like, oh, he's a perfectionist and he knows what plays well. You know, like Kanye, you know, it comes to mind. But I would put him in the same realm, too, of like he has like one of these phenomenal ears, like the, this ear for like what plays well and what like the the audience, the people will understand. And, and you know, one of my favorite stories in regards to Quincy is is um, is rock with you, the the opener for um um, for Michael Jackson's album, um, um, off the wall, off the wall. Thank you. Kind of, um, (laughs) and, um, and you know, I don't know if you know the story already. Stop me if you have, um, but it, it, but you know, Michael didn't want the, like the, the violin part, right. Or, or, or the orchestra part. Like, you know, you know, he didn't want that. Like he thought that was very distracting. But then Quincy was like, are you kidding me? He's like, we, he's like, to me, that is the signature, like that lets you know that you're about to feel the energy, like, like that it's about to hit, like that is the opener. And like, it wasn't enough. Like Michael didn't see that. And, 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 and obviously it stayed in and it plays significantly well. And it is like the, it, it, it's the, you know, it's like when you smell a fragrance and you're like, oh, that reminds me of so-and-so. It's like that's the equivalent. <laughs> so you hear that you hear the opening notes of that, and it's it's uh, you know it's that song. You know what's about to happen. You know, and it plays so well. And 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 I just think like he has one of those phenomenal ears for composition and just like um just just memorable sound and impact of 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 you know of of, of coordination that like you know so it, someone even as seasoned. That's why I bring that up. I know it was like his, his, it would have done, what is it? His, technically his second solo album or whatever, but like Michael Jackson, even 
question him, to think like, that is very distracting. But to him, he was like, no, that's your cue that like lets you know that the fun times are coming on, you know, it, it, is, it isn't a distraction from what's about to happen. You're, you're setting up, this is a setup, you know, and like, man, if they, yeah, if there's anyone out there that understands music and understands like how to ebb flow and coordinate music to be impactful. I mean, Quincy is, is always going to be on the short list. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, you know, first off in regard to that specific story, it's kind of funny. Um, the horns in ring of fire, the Johnny cash song, mm-hmm. that was another thing where apparently Johnny cash didn't really want them at first. And the producer, oh, really? I, yeah. And I, I believe, um, Jack Clement, cowboy, Jack Clement, I believe produced that record. I don't actually know that. Like I do have my computer up, but I, I'm I'm going fully off memory here, yeah, so yeah, I might be wrong, but uh, but yeah, I believe it was Cowboy Jack wanted wanted the horns <laughs> in, and Johnny Cash was kind of against it, and then it turned out to be such a staple of the song. I, th- I think I think everyone can huh. admit that was the better decision, but um, yeah, Quincy Jones. I mean, it, you're right. I mean, he he has a wonderful ear. He's just a savant, but he's also just such a workhorse. I mean, you know, mm. if you pull up his his production discography. I mean, you'll look and it starts in the, in the late 1950s. And I mean, it's like a few albums a year, every year for 60 years that he had something to do with. And And then his own own albums are phenomenal too. Oh yeah. Summertime and like all that stuff. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and, you know, he worked, um, you know, like, like, like you said with Michael Jackson on off the wall and on thriller and on bad. And, uh, you know, first off, I have never met anyone who just really hates any of those albums. I mean, I, like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not just a Dude, huge Michael sure. Jackson guy, like, but I, I mean, yeah. all three yeah. of those albums are fantastic. Um, I'm pretty sure if there's any album that has been like shouted out as like, you know, like the Desert Island album or like the, the ideal, like, example album for production or just like oh music it's got to be thriller general. right it, it's always thriller like yeah it's yeah. always thrown out like and it's because like that that is like <laughs> the highest fidelity like production <laughs> you know like you can do like to obsess coordinate and execute like on all ends like it's just so well done it's insanity yeah and of course it has McCartney involved yeah <laughs> And, um, but you know, it's, it's just incredible because if you look at the different artists, I mean, you, you mentioned some of them, but you know, Cannonball Adderley, Louis Armstrong, Ray Charles, Count Basie, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, you mentioned George Benson, big Maybelline, kind of an icon, uh, one of the first true, like, uh, female blues stars, you know, I mean, Mm. Uh, yeah. Tony Bennett, he worked with Tony Bennett, you know, yeah. it's just incredible. And then, and then, yeah, you yeah. just keep moving down the line and you just go, oh yeah, I know that. Oh yeah, I know that. Oh yeah, I know that. I mean, <laughs> it is absolutely unbelievable how many people he's worked with and how everyone in the English speaking world and beyond, whether they know it or not, likes a song likes that Quincy him. Jones has oh, something yeah. to do with. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he is, he's plugged in and he knows what he's doing and he, 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 he affects those artists, you know, through, through effective change and then education, you know, and I think that's the difference is it's not just give me your product and I'll remix it or I'll, I'll put it into place almost, you know what I mean? It's like, let's, let's build something here. I want to have you aware. I want to be aware. Let's, let's really, you know, make sure this is something that's 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 appreciated appreciated by both of us but approachable by the audience and um you know the transition into another um well i guess quincy was your last one you know to transition into my next one you know i I would bring up a modern version of that might be pharrell williams or the neptunes um to the point where like in the 2010s uh, I'm, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure more than 50%, it's probably higher than that of like the top 40 songs of the 2010s were all involved Pharrell. Like he was involved in some form or fashion in like the biggest hits of like the last, like basically 10 years, like, or, or longer. <laughs> and, and, 
And it's because of like how he works with people. It's just, you know, like he, he just channels a, a different type of, um, of attitude and he commands or and he doesn't command like a, a form of respect, but he expects, you know, a form of respect. And it's right. not that I think it's like, you know, you're controlling these things and keeping people in check. It's more like people understand that like your parameters extend to a form of creativity that really welcomes these people that come from all forts, you know, forms of different places and, 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 and whatever. But when they come to you, it's, it's, you're a catalyst to, to clarify and execute and, and, and like, man, whether Pharrell was working with, you know, like Daft Punk or, or, or doing something, you know, solo or, or who, whatever it, it, it's just, he's, he has been phenomenally consistent and, and, you know, beyond that, um, you know, for like current day, you know, like people that I think are starting to stretch their legs and getting the situation similar to Pharrell and the Neptunes, you know, is like someone like, you know, like Steve Lacey or someone that's involved with like Caliuchis and, and, and Kendrick Lamar and, and Tyler, the creator and Mac Miller, um, RIP and, um, and more in the form of, 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 of creating, um, just really good um, experiences to create music and, and, and producing it in a really receivable and, and like rhythmic fashion. Cause you know, like, like Steve Lacey specifically, like if I'm not mistaken, like he, he's, he, he's primarily like a bassist and like, you can always tell that like when his music, like it has like a really like funky or like really nice groovy baseline and, and people just really play well, really like play with him really well. And they, and they build off of his style really well. And, um, I mean, honestly, that, that kind of brings me into another realm of thought of myself um, in form of making music that like, I just feel like a lot of people that, that are, are really great facilitators of making music come from that rhythmic perspective, come from that like bass perspective. Cause like, that's where I started was in bass and drumming and like, man, I, I, I just feel like it's a, as a whole, there's a whole other different approach to music that way rather than like thinking that like, you know, I'm going to learn the guitar and then tell my story through that. I just feel like that's more ego, but with rhythm, it's more like you have to be structured and relatable and plug inable. Like people have to be able to vibe off of you. And that has to be the, the foundation, not off of, you know, what is good, but you have to be able to understand what is vibable, <laughs> not viable. <laughs> yes, that, but also vibable. <laughs> And, and I think that's a huge like, um, thing in, in, in modern production or, or, or in anyone that seems to almost just like plug in naturally or whatever is like, that's what they're prioritizing more than anything. Um, or, or, or like, I don't want to like branch off into too many of like people I have listed, but like, you know, like we, we brought it before up, we've brought it up before on the show about like somehow like I, you know like I've, I've said how sometimes djs are some of the best producers because of their obsession with rhythm because of their obsession with timing and and you know I, it makes me just think of like mark ronson you know who has worked with so many different people most notably you know probably amy winehouse or like um um bruno mars, bruno mars. <laughs> um but but you know you know with those and, and in addition you know like kevin parker you know, and Ke and, and tame impala that there is this like there's a high quality because of the obsession of of timing and, and rhythm and 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 different aesthetics and and like the way they come into play really makes it their own you know i mean like like kevin parker i feel like you can definitely kind of tell when he produces something or like when jeff lynn like produces something you can kind of tell or even like prince you know like they all kind of have like their own little niche niche things or whatever but like the biggest thing is they're very approachable and, and, and that they, they, they really help tell the story and they don't, you know, try to lock it down in a certain like way, I guess. I don't know. And this, I guess my way of interpreting it, but like particularly those last few I listed, like I just feel like that's what make Kevin Parker and Mark Ronson, like great collaborators is that exact idea. But anyways, I I've gone on a tangent. That I feel is too long now. So, <laughs> oh no, not at all. Well, I'm I'm glad you brought up Jeff Lynn because that's someone I wanted to talk about. Um, Jeff Lynn, of course, uh, lead singer and main songwriter for the Electric Light Orchestra, but yeah. um, 
also seems to be just one of those dudes who is friendly with everyone. Um, right. Dude, I feel that's what I'm saying, man. That's what I'm saying. I feel like there's that certain line. Okay, I'm about to sound kind of woo-woo here, but there's that certain like like beat of being where you just get along with everybody. Where like you're so into like channeling and making good content. I don't want to say content, but good art. Um to the form where everyone is like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're a good channel, man. Like almost like not you're a good channel or catalyst, but like you're a healthy channel. Like I actually enjoy interacting with you. And like when the job is done, it's actually interesting. Like it might not ever be what I expect it to be, but like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, that's cool. Like I actually really enjoy that. And like Jeff Lynn is one of those people that like, I really, I'm, I'm happy you phrased it that way because that's the same interpretation I get. It was like that dude has been plugged into so many like crazy groups and like, or even as like a single or like, you know, just random things where I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. Man, he must be like a cool guy. You know, like he must, he must have like a cool, I don't want to say cool. Like he must have like a really respectful and like, you know, enjoyable energy about him when it comes to working and taking something seriously, you know, the where like he still respects you and like, it's like enjoyable, like that, like, man, it really grows. Like you really foster something. You don't just work together, but like you actually like make something, you know? And like, that's a big difference. And, and maybe a theme in our conversation for this one, but like, that's, that's what like a phenomenal producer does is like, they're more of a facilitator less than like this, like controller coach type of, you know, deal sometimes, I guess. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, if you look at the, uh, you're right. That, that's another thing I wanted to bring up is he definitely has a sound, right? Um, mm. but, well, first mm. off, I want to say he has to be, you know, some form of patient and, and, likable because um you know all of the work he did with traveling wilburys so he's working with tom petty george harrison roy orbison and bob dylan and um you know tom petty and george harrison uh, i think were pretty laid-back people um roy orbison i don't know much about but you know bob dylan was kind of famously high strong um and might still be i mean i hope he's not but you know, he's, he was kind of famously high strung and, and, you know, they made a couple of albums together and Jeff Lynn produced both of them. And so it's kind of like, you know, if he can get, if he can get Bob Dylan to agree to work with him on back-to-back projects, he had to do something that Bob Dylan respected. So, right. Um, well, cause I mean, Jeff Lynn did, um, again, we're getting into that Beatles mindscape again, but like Jeff Lynn did, um, brainwashed um, Harrison's last album. He did, um, I believe he, he also did, did cloud nine. He did cloud nine. And then yeah. he also did a majority if I'm not mistaken of flaming pie. He um, did McCartney's yeah. album that he did right after Linda passed away. Um, which was like McCartney's like, I don't want to like put words in his mouth, but like kind of like his first like serious, like he put a lot of energy like behind like the music, like to tell a story, like not just like to kind of like, cause like he did tell stories obviously in the albums before, but like that album, I just feel like had a lot of energy behind it. Like he was ready to work again or something, you know? And, and I feel like, again, like we were just talking about in that theme that like Lynn must've been a great facilitator that like he helped him channel that very well. And the same thing in Harrison, you know, Harrison's, you know, would ebb and flow, but like he really, got him to like focus in and like i don't know he, he was a great facilitator and like he i mean clearly like a great social um person to have but like also just like a hard worker like someone that was committed to the same ideas i guess and uh yeah i don't know definitely wanted to make sure to give jeff lynn a shout out just because like the electric light orchestra stuff of course has inspired tons of people from kid cuddy to the beatles to whatever but like his individual things also him in, you know, you know, working with people and, and, and creating con uh, concepts and art has just, it's been phenomenal. And he's had a lot of, you know, phenomenal people work with him because of, because of his methods. And yeah, he's just, he's definitely, he's gotta be 
He's got to get a shout out. <laughs> yeah, and I one one last thing on Jeff Lynn I wanted to mention. Um, so, you know, he worked with a lot of people. We've we've talked about that. He uh, was very good friends with Tom Petty, uh, presumably until Tom Petty passed. Um, but he, uh, Jeff Lynn, that is, produced two Tom Petty albums, Into the Great Wide Open and Full Moon Fever. And he may have done more than that. But mm. I want to draw attention to those two because Into the Great Wide Open was critically acclaimed. I mean, it was a great album. The title track's cool. Um, it had, uh, you know, what's the one I'm trying to think of? Uh, you don't know how it feels on it, but full moon fever. I mean, that had free fallen. I won't back down. You're so bad and running down a dream on it. Yep. And uh, that's, I mean, that's like a third of the Tom Petty greatest hit CD. You know, <laughs> it's, yeah. Well, it's, well, it's, it's like unbelievable. anytime you see like a, a shirt or like a little compilation of his best stuff, it, all, it normally has that full moon fever poster. Yeah. Uh, or, or album cover or whatever, which, which the album cover does look like one of those old school posters. Yeah. I do um, love it. The, the gentle melding of all those colors into one kind of flowy thing. It looks like a spectrum. I love it. <laughs> well, oh yeah. Well, and that's that old school look for old like band posters, like that, that default background from like the seventies and eighties or whatever. It's like, it's like, it's, or, or I guess eighties uh, primarily, but like the, uh, yeah, like that, that's like, it's, it's so good. <laughs> it it <laughs> like, is. And and, yeah. and when you start again, like uh, that's why, like, and uh, okay, this kind of dials into our other topic, the playlist thing. It's like if you if you look into those playlists that are curated nowadays to show you like the behind the boards like kind of thing and like you know what producers you know were were involved in what, like yeah, Jeff Lynn is one of those where like if you look into it, like it's very interesting. Like oh wow, like your career and production like spans like decades and like touches on like significant moments and like rock and roll like it's it's crazy like it's not just like oh you had that one song huh like you really had that one vibe like no like you you channel a lot of different things like it's very impressive by the way i i love calico skies from flaming pie i mean it's i i like that album it's it's one of the like oh, yeah. modern yeah I, I say it's 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 one of my favorite post beatles mccartney albums um which is weird. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't really know why I like it as much as I do. Like it's. It's not as good an album as Ram. It's not as good an album as. Oh Picard. sure. But sure. I really do have a soft spot for it, and I love Calico Skies. That is such a cool song. Um, well, I've always loved. Um, just since we're talking about, um, Flaming Pie, um, dude, Young Boy. You ever listen to that one? Like seriously, Young Boy's a That's good a- one. Yeah. It's right Dude, before Calico's guys. <laughs> yeah, young young boy and um um souvenir. Those are both phenomenal. But souvenir like, is good. Yeah. Yeah, man. But yeah, Jeff Lynn's good, man. He definitely uh I mean, I know he's an older cat, but like he plays well with those those older folk <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> musicians. But yeah, man, he is he's a phenomenal one. Was and that I, was that your last one, Lynn? That was my last one, and and one one last quick thing. I and I can't remember who which Beatles said it, um, but one of the Beatles and probably George Harrison. I'm taking an educated guess here. Mm-hmm. Um, said that he always thought that if the Beatles had continued to make music into the 70s, that it would have sounded like oh, ELO, yeah. like ELO, ELO was the yeah. Beatles sound. It yeah. was the natural evolution yeah, of the Beatles. So yeah. I've always yeah. thought that was cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, well, and if you talk to Lynn, I mean, that was his primo inspiration, you know, yeah. the Beatles and trying to stem off of that. But in, um, in, in case anyone is looking for a great use of an ELO song on a movie soundtrack, I encourage you to go back and watch Billy Madison <laughs> because <laughs> The scene when Adam Sandler calls Steve Buscemi to apologize for picking on him in high school, and then Steve Buscemi says, sure, no problem, and then crosses Adam Sandler's name off of a people-to-kill list. Um, 
the song that's playing is Telephone Line by ELO, and it, for whatever reason, just fits that moment in the movie <laughs> so perfectly. It's <laughs> it's ridiculous that a movie as stupid as Bill as, as uh, Billy Madison. I'm not knocking. I you know I was five or six or seven years old or whatever when that came out, and I loved it and still have a soft spot for it. But um, yeah, I've always thought that that was a really like an unbelievably great usage of a song, especially in an Adam <laughs> Sandler movie was Telephone Line when Steve Buscemi <laughs> decides not to kill Adam Sandler. <laughs> yeah, it's a classic. Oh, man. I don't even know if I realized that that's what was a song. Yeah. Go back and watch that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess uh, do you want to kind of do, do you have any more or is that like a um well i did have one one more producer i wanted to mention um yeah we can kind of do like a kind of rapid fire thing sure i I wanted to the the one the one other one i really wanted to mention was niall rogers and i don't know if niall rogers Mm, made your list um yeah yeah so niall rogers perhaps most known as the uh guitarist for chic um Mm-hmm. Uh, who had Le Freak, um, which is yeah. French for the freak. Um, <laughs> I'm not fluent or anything. It's just a practicing. Um, but uh, yeah, Nile Rogers, you would probably recognize him if you saw a picture of him, if you don't know who I'm talking about. Um, but, you know, another guy with a great ear for sound, he focused more on kind of pop stuff you know he he produced let's dance the bowie album which Mm. um you know i think is i think let's dance the song has one of the poppier feels to a to a bowie song he produced the like a virgin album from madonna um he produced we are family the sister sledge song (laughs) um you know so um and the list goes on and on and on and on and on i mean i i could sit here and just talk about Niall Rogers forever but uh I know <laughs> I know Sam and I are both running low on time this this particular Wednesday afternoon so uh <laughs> but yeah um I did want to mention Niall Rogers because it's it's so great that he went from like this guitarist in this kind of funk band to being a really 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 well respected pop and rock and roll producer and I I think that's just yeah. great Oh yeah well and he's one of those people that he you know, he's got it. One, he's got to have a great personality to work with so many different people, but two, he definitely understands what plays well, you know, like that, that very clear stated upbeat downbeat type of thing. Like the, we, uh, fam, you know, like there's always oh, like, yeah. like, you know, like all of his songs like have a very clear, like upbeat downbeat yeah. kind of flow thing. Like that makes a virgin. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. Like that. <laughs> Yeah, like I'd like yeah, to apologize like makes, to Madonna for that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but like it gives any audience like a an approachable ear to like listen it to. You know, like there's never like you have to like be hyper observant, you know, in a certain way. You know, kind of like in that same thinking of of how Kurt Cobain wanted song structure to be as like nursery rhyme, like keep it approachable and like that's like a lot of his music is like it's very interesting and like this the definitely the 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 themes of it are different obviously like every time but like that's like a clear structure is like a very defined like upbeat and downbeat that keep the listener like tuned in and like on time and like involved you know and like yeah i mean it plays it's it's beautiful you know there's just different types of cues for music and, and music consumption or metabolism i'll put it that way or digestion that's better probably what better way to put it is that you know sometimes people want a really complex piece to, to digest and linger on sometimes people want something quick and like easy to process you know just to, and it all become becomes a, a a play on how to curate that and keep people interested you know that's that becomes the game oh yeah for the pros. by the by the way, I've I've heard that about Kurt Cobain before that his approach to to music was that it no, should nursery be, rhyme. Yeah, and every time I hear that, and I've heard it several times, every time I hear that, I picture someone holding a baby 
you know, trying to get them to sleep and going, <laughs> rape me, <laughs> rape me, my friend. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, well, that, just... that track I feel like was an outlier on a bad day. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I hope so. I, <laughs> geez, but, um, but yeah, I've heard that. And that's, I mean, it's, it's so, and you know, there's plenty of Nirvana songs that kind of have a dark, but also that to them, song, but that one is the most, that in your song face. is just, that song is pure, like upbeat, downbeat. Upbeat, downbeat. Dun, You're right. Dun, dun, <laughs> dun. Like, that's it, you know. And that's yeah, yeah, that's enough. I mean, that's that is it. That is a part of the formula that I was kind of talking about. But that's, but you know, again, talking about new formulas. You know, talking about Jay Dilla and and or or people like I brought up before, um, like or like Steve uh, Steve Lacey. You know, I mean, that dude's producing music on an iPad. You know, like he's known for that. Um, you know, then there's people like, um, um, I mean, like we, we talk about Quincy Jones, but like, uh, you know, like if I'm reaching into like the world of hip hop, you know, like I want to give a shout out to like, obviously like there's those classics like Dr. Dre and stuff, but like El Producto LP with run the jewels or company flow or his end of his solo stuff where it's like, it's got such a, uh, character behind it. It's got so much strength behind it and, and hard hitting production that like, you can't help but notice like it's it's pun- it's punching you in the face you know it's like you, you gotta try to look into it because you're like wow like who the hell made it that sonically like intense just for the intro or like whatever and i was like that's fucking lp or like you know it's like it's like those people that make their signature sound you know or like pete rock you know someone that like you know like one of his things he's known for is like sampling like um a lot of funk and soul stuff but primarily like you know james brown and like um but like, man, it's just like, I don't know, you listen to a lot of like lo-fi, like hip hop beats nowadays that like people will just like, doesn't matter where you're from, any part of the world. And it just like always throws me back to like Pete Rock. I'm just always like, man, this sounds like a Pete Rock joint or like this sounds like this song or like whatever. And it's just because like he found like he like cornered that like concept of, that, of like those 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 looped, you know, like beats, those hip hop beats that are just like that, that incorporate, you know, soul and R&B like um, 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 aesthetics, but like there's a core to it. There's a foundation that makes it him that he always comes back to. Um, and, and then there's those other producers that are like hyper obsessed with evolving the sound and finding the right, you know, uh, situation for the right sound. Like Brian Wilson, you know, I go into a specific studio just to get like just this horn part because it always comes out better, you know, sonically or whatever he interprets, you know, from this studio and. And just, you know, building a full, I mean, that's what Pet Sounds was, right? I mean, it was like four or five different studios like involved to build like this whole big epic, which, you know, was a little atypical at the time, maybe more typical nowadays. But it's that that form of care, you know, that goes into it that really sets the producers aside from each other. You know, the not just the obsessive notion that it could be better, but you know exactly how or who to link in to make it better. Um, and you become the facilitator, you know, um, and, and some producers are known for being controlling and it being their thing. And like, and it definitely can be that way, you know, like, uh, um, homeboy we brought up before, like Phil Spector or like <laughs> kind of like a Tony Visconti type of thing, you know, or like, you know, like, cause Visconti, you know, worked, worked with Bowie and, and their relationship ebbed and flowed to be experimental or more restrictive, um, you know, like, cause you see like the, the, uh, um, the man who sold the world is pretty like hard rock, a little out there. And then when you get to hunky dory, they bring in the, they try to hone the guitar is down. The guitar is ringed in a lot more, you know, <laughs> and it's a lot more piano based, you know, um, for most of it, I feel like. And, and then when you get back to Ziggy Stardust, it's a little more experimental. It's a little, let's go outside of ourselves. And, and, um, and at that point, yeah, like the producer had to kind of agree with you to move that way. And, and, um, yeah, I, I just don't know. There, there, there's so many different people that, that it's their responsibility to control and fashion the sound, but they take it more on themselves to curate and, and facilitate a mutual, you know, vision between them and the artist and, and to really make it something vibrant and alive that that especially nowadays i think when an artist has to tour it and live it you know almost brand it 
like they really got to come to terms and make it, you know, mutually, you know, themselves. And, and with people self-producing things, it's becoming more accurate. But um, whenever it comes to like, because uh, I, I, I'm one of those people that, that honestly does believe that there can be a point where there's too many cooks in the kitchen. There are too many <laughs> producers involved. Um, oh, and, for sure. And when it comes to music, yeah. And I think when it comes to music, it's getting more, more apparent. You know, I think with most media, it's becoming apparent. That's why people are leaning into independent forms of media because they're tired of too many hands in the pot, you know. Like you look at a Kanye song or something and there's like 20 something people listed on it. You're like, what the hell is happening? Um, and you feel it's a little bit all over the place. It doesn't feel as, as thought through as the past or something. And, and like, I, I, there, there's definitely something to be said about that, but I don't know anyone that really holds it down and, and hits a chord, you know, uh, um, emotionally and musically, like as a production, um, when they're the producer, I mean, it, it, I think, you've done well when you've facilitated both sides, you know, you maintaining the consistency, but also, you know, involving the artists to be themselves and, and evolving it past that, you know? And, uh, I think all the people we've listed have been phenomenal facilitators and, and, um, and, and teachers and mentors to these other artists that, you know, have, have taken it further. And, and that's why it's always important, man, to include the producer <laughs> and anything that you, you really do enjoy musically because that was, that's the other part of the band. That's not always on the poster. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you are exactly right. Um, I did want to mention by the way that the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust was produced by Ken Scott, the guy I brought up earlier. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad we came back. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. No. And, and um, that's, and that's a good point too, that, um, like, like Ken's like 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 Ziggy Stardust, like that's probably like how many concept albums would you say there probably were pre like mid seventies? Because you mean you oh, had like Sergeant I mean almost none. Right. I mean you had like a handful, like because it was it was really easy to pin them out. Like Tommy, Sergeant Pepper, like they they most of the time they either had a movie involved or they had a ton of following. Like, you know, they had a huge major following before they did something like that. Yeah, because Frank Sinatra had one that was he. It was the I don't know that it was called Seasons, but it was something like that. It had like oh, I know what you're talking about. It had April and Paris on it. Mm -hmm. it Yeah, 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 I know what you're talking about. But like to take it to the edge of like you're a different character and you're channeling this individual like through the whole album. Like that was what that was a difference maker for Ziggy was like it really tells a story of like an alien savior you know a bisexual alien savior and <laughs> and you know you have to have a different producer to want to like let's run down that rabbit hole together you know and like yeah that, that is a good connection point because you know Visconti's a funny person because you look at him and he's like oh i want to be experimental but i also wanted to keep them in a certain lane <laughs> and like i think that was that balance back then but like, yeah, like Ken Scott, I'm sure at that point set but by that, what would that have been in like 72? I mean, yeah, he probably would have been really open to like, yeah, let's channel some really interesting ideas and just make sure it sounds good, you know? And uh, yeah, I mean, Ziggy Stardust is a phenomenal example of, of that, that creative pursuit in hand in hand with like high quality production, you know? Um, For sure. Yeah. But yeah, man, there's there's some crazy people out there. I mean, you didn't even get me to talk, you know. I we didn't, I mean, I know we need to wrap it up, but like I didn't even talk, you know, 10 20 minutes about like Kanye or Prince, but you know, <laughs> yeah, but the other we we need to we need to do one episode that's just Prince, just Prince <laughs> <Yeah>. stuff. <laughs> I mean, every time, yeah. you know, it, you're I I don't know I I know that you that you have some love for baseball but um you know Tony Gwynn is widely mm-hmm. regarded as one of the best hitters of all time right yeah and every time I hear a statistic about Tony Gwynn it sounds made up 
you know, <laughs> you know, and it's always something crazy. This isn't a real one for any baseball freaks listening out there, but you know, you'll hear something and it's like, yeah, he went eight years without seeing an O and two count. And you're like, no, that can't be right. Then you look it up and it is right. And, um, <laughs> yeah, that like Prince is like the Tony Gwynn of music to me. It's like yeah, every single thing I've time. ever heard about <laughs> Prince sounds 100% made up and it's unbelievable how true it is. Right. <laughs> and uh, like that, that's that, that's what it did. Like, and, and you know, his, his first solo album, it, it was like, he's credited with playing like 27 different instruments on it. I mean, mm. that's not, I don't care who you are. No one is an expert at 27 instruments, but he made <laughs> it work. It's unbelievable that he did. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, like sometime we need to just have like a, a dedicated Prince episode because he is, uh, yeah, dude, that, that, that man, that, that cat knew how to, he knew how to make an album. So <laughs> I mean, he knew many things. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no absolutely yeah that that's one of those ones where i want to make sure to to give it time yeah <laughs> to cover yeah <laughs> well yeah but this was a fun one though to try and think back like who are these people that i think of like when i think of good producers but also what are the piece of works that i really revere and like who was involved and in really trying to make sure that you know um certain modes of influence or certain hands that were hands on, you know, are noted. And, and yeah, I don't know. I definitely feel like I, I, the one, the one I just realized, I don't think I listed actually off my list. I do want to give one final shout out is Ludwig. Um, the longtime collaborator with, with Donald Glover for childish Gambino and, um, and also movie score, you know, producer himself, Ludwig, um, is a phenomenal musical mind. Um, and, and just, uh, uh, a knack for for um little particular changes and and finessing the sound and putting it in its own time and place to to give it its own feel you know to really tell a story um through timing and um and through aesthetic you know j j just by individual interpretation however he's decided to do it time and time again it's just always um it's always been impactful and and um it's 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 stuck you know it wasn't just um um passive you know it wasn't just like something that you just you've heard a million times over and i think that's probably what the theme of all these people have in common is they don't want to just play something that's been heard a hundred times over they want to do something that has its own place its own texture and they find a place for it and that's what makes them the the professionals that they are and um yeah man they all these people we've listed have have changed music and and um have have planted seeds or have made footholds that will continue to change music just off of inspirational fuel you know from people like me and you that just you know can't get over it so much respect and much love to everybody you know but uh yeah man you got anything else you got anybody else <laughs> i have nothing else Man, this is yeah. this has been fun to to give everyone a peek behind the curtain. This is the this is the second podcast of a double header today. Um, oh yeah, and yeah, uh, man, it's <laughs> I I, I thought I was thing. going to be a lot more worn out by now, but it's um, no man, it's been a great day. This this two quality pod, not that any of them are bad quality, but I mean these the, both of these I think <laughs> the have last was a piece of shit have been home runs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with a base hit, but it's nice to have two home runs. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way to put it. But yeah, yeah, I might start off with this one out of the two, honestly. But yeah, that's oh, yeah. a good one. Well, this shit, you can cut that out and put it in the first podcast then. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. No, no one will know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, cool, man. Oh, man. Yeah, this is a good And then we'll, we'll find another good topic for next time. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you as always. It was a blast and can't wait to do it again. <laughs> <laughs>